0: What is up, friends? Welcome back to the New Evangelicals podcast. Okay, on this episode, I'm doing something a little bit different. I'm actually pulling out an interview that I did on my previous podcast, the Coffee, Theology, and Jesus podcast, because we've never released this interview before and it needs to be heard. On this interview, we had the chance to bring on Dr. Michael Heiser on the show. Now, if you don't know who he is, let me just tell you something right now. This guy is a heavyweight in the world of um, of academia. He is a heavyweight when it comes to um, Hebrew um, um, cosmology. His work on the what's called the Divine Council uh, in the Bible is going to blow your mind. So let me just put it this way: if you are not familiar with the Divine Council um, or some of the more um, cosmological perspectives of the Bible you're in for a real treat on this episode because dr. Heiser is the go-to guy on this he also runs a podcast called the naked Bible which has hundreds of thousands of downloads each week so we it was a real privilege and a real honor to have him on the show so what I did was did was I took the interview and I threw it in this format so you're gonna hear my buddy Rob who was one of my co-hosts on this podcast also chime in and the Audio quality isn't great. We did it over Zoom at the time. I wasn't recording into GarageBand directly, but it will suffice for the sake of, you know, um, this interview. So, that being said, um, I just want to say buckle up. This is a heavy theological episode that might leave you scratching your head. There's all different things that he says that will make you go, Wait, what? I need more information. So, please make sure you check out Dr. Heiser's work. It's on YouTube, it's on Instagram, it's everywhere. Um, so, yeah, just buckle up, friends. This this is we're we're going into the deep end of theology today. One more thing before I play the interview I just want to say to all of the subscribers on this podcast, thank you for subscribing. If you are listening to this episode, can you please give us a rating and a review? That would just be immensely helpful for our show to come up in the rankings on iTunes and on Spotify. It takes literally five seconds to hit five stars and submit, and you're done. It would be a huge help to us. So if you could do that, that would be great. All right. Without further ado, here is the interview with my buddy Rob of um, us talking to Dr. Heiser. I hope you enjoy the episode. Mike, thank you so much for coming on the Coffee Theology and Jesus podcast. It is honestly, it's a treat to have you on the show. So thank you for making time to come on.
1: Yeah, you bet. Glad to be here. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. I like asking all of our guests and Rob's on, on this with me, which is great, but we like asking our guests um, just to give us the, the five minute overview of who they are, how they kind of got to where they are and what they like to talk about. So the floor is yours.
1: Yeah well, I, I mean my my present lofty title <laughs> is <laughs> the Executive director of the Awakening School of Theology and Ministry that's in Jacksonville, Florida
2: okay.
1: and in in you know the translation of that is, I'm I'm finding myself in a place I never thought I would find myself. I'm I'm in the midst of a megachurch network, which Mike and megachurch are like antonyms. <laughs> <laughs> I, I told the leadership here I'm the antidote to megachurch, <laughs> um, they, but they wanted to hire me. You know, <laughs> uh, great. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm in the midst of it. Well, and, and the reason is they they have. Made very intentional decisions about shifting from being from an attractional model, which is a term I learned after I got here. I understand it now. But to shift from sort of being an event based, attractional, model based church to a church that provides content not only for its network but internationally. Wow. And they wanted a, a significant focus of that to be my content, so that, that's why we moved it. Before that, I was at Logos Bible Software, otherwise known you know, today as Faith Life—that's the corporate name—for almost 15 years, which was a job I loved. You know, I got to meet and work with scholars all over the world, and not grade papers. <laughs> just, it was great. Um, you know, but the last three or four years of that, I was writing. You know, this it's where Unseen Realm was born. You know, five years ago now, um, and then I just wrote some other things. But initially, I was the academic editor, which I never really edited anything. That was that was better than a language geek. You know, so you know, it, it that, that's what I've done for the last you know fifteen or so years. I've taught you know biblical studies for twenty years, green campuses online. Uh, my PhD is in Hebrew Bible and Semitic languages. Mm. So lots of dead languages, mm. which I enjoyed. Um, you know, I I love Scripture. I love languages. I love biblical theology. Uh, before I was a, became a believer in high school, I, I like to tell people I was just interested in anything old and weird. So, <laughs> you know, like when, when I. I came to the Lord and discovered what the Bible was. It's like, man, this is the sweet spot right here. <laughs> <Bold> and, <laughs> and weird. And weird. You know? <laughs> so, you know, that's kind of what I am. I've, I've been involved in, in what we would call the fringe community for 20 years. You know, I, 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 what, what floats my boat is that I try to take, in, in biblical studies, and, and really in these fringe areas too, things like ancient astronauts, you know, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to take peer reviewed scholarly research and make it decipherable to people, both exposing it to people and then trying to communicate the nuggets from it that will, will matter, okay, that matter for interpretation, for, for clear thinking. Um, you know, that, that, that's, that's really what I try to do. And on my podcast, Naked Bible Podcast, I try to find other scholars who are doing intentional things for the Mm. church. Mm. I mean, most of the time, you know, I, I do produce content for the podcast, but we have interviews. And when I find a scholar that's doing something intentional for the church, I like to expose my audience to them. Mm. And most of my audience is lay people. You know, we, we, we've had 7 million downloads. Wow. Easily a hundred thousand downloads per episode, you know, in a month there are a lot of people out there who just care and they're yes. not being fed in church. And so I'm putting that flag up. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is where you come and I, I will do my best to help other people who are trying to do the same thing. You know, like the Bible project, you know, we've done some joint things there. Yeah. They do wonderful stuff.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, that, that's what I try to do. That's, that's what I feel I should uh, The real, really the reason I'm here is to, to produce content in various forms for anybody who cares,
2: yeah, and to help yeah. people
1: think better about scripture and better about just ancient stuff, mm. you know, in general. Just you know, let, let's think a little bit better about primary sources, let's not use logical fallacies, they're really not good, they're entertaining, mm. but they're not good. Mm. Um, you know, and just try to do better, mm. you know, just try to do better.
3: I think one of, one of our focuses recently, we've had Randy, Dr. Randy Richards on, and it's, it is that exactly what you're saying. People are interested, but they have this lens that they've been given from the American church model that puts, puts on a cultural perspective that just isn't, isn't faithful to the original text.
1: You know, I, I really try to be sympathetic. Mm -hmm. It it may not sound like it, and, and I can, I can be pretty brutal, um, and I don't mind doing that. But I also want to let people know that, you know, I, I get the difficulty of, of the pastoral job. I mm-hmm. get it. Mm-hmm. Um, pastors have people for 20, 30 minutes a week. So, okay, what is it this week? Is it content? Is it the pep talk? Or the crisis of the week? Okay, this is what we have what are we going to do? You know, in a perfect world, it's it's content and a little bit of a pep talk. You know mm-hmm. that, but but a lot of a lot of cases that just doesn't happen.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the MDiv, the, the training for pastors is, and this isn't a bad thing. It's a it's a it's a it's a sensible thing. The training for pastors is a mile wide and an inch deep. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what an MDiv is, it's supposed to be that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But what's supposed to happen on the other end is the pastor is supposed to continue using the tools and the techniques that they learn in seminary to study okay, and provide content for people. But that typically isn't what happens. For some good reasons, I mean, when I say good, I mean, like, understandable reasons.
2: Mm.
1: You know, there's just so much time during a week, but then there's just some lazy reasons, too, and some ineptitude reasons, you know? And I I mean, I just get it. They're in a tough spot. But but I also think on the negative side, that pastors routinely underestimate both the aptitude of the people in church and their appetite for content.
2: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. I think that is routinely underestimated. Yep. Yeah. And it, and it it does damage. It does yeah. damage. Because your people, if if you can't answer their questions, they either think you don't have an answer, you're too lazy to give them an answer, or you well, that you know, you're one of those people. That's not an important question it's peripheral to whatever we're doing here, perpetuating our subculture, really. Right. You know, so what are they going to do? They're not going to take your, your words like it's it spoken ex cathedra in Protestant circles. Okay. <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't have Protestant popes and pulpit popes here. They're going to go to the internet. Mm-hmm. Yep. And now you've really done it. <laughs> you <know? laughs> now you, now you have driven them to the slough of despond to the pit of despair <laughs> and just honestly to crazy town
2: mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: it's it's middle earth. i mean my metaphor is, is middle earth <laughs> <laughs> that's true <laughs> you know, yeah. I, have, I have a whole thing about christian middle earth you know and and how that is a, a wonderfully explanatory metaphor yeah for what really goes on in the world of believing christianity it's christian middle earth yeah you know and and that's what we have Yeah, that's the church.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. I mean, you're really spot on in so many ways. Um, Rob and I have talked about this on the podcast and behind the scenes. I even started a new Instagram account called the new evangelicals trying to have conversations that I feel like the church isn't having in my layman self. You know, it's something that's, that's really well done, but it's at least a shot. I do think you bring up a great point though. And I'm sure you know this, you know, right now, the big thing for a lot of people, my age, a millennial, is this idea, you know, deconstructing? You know, like, oh my yeah. gosh, like, you know, what I believed. And the question now is, what are we reconstructing too? That's 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 the new question. And yeah. for me, it has been people like, I mean, really, the Bible Project was the catalyst for me of discovering their podcast and going. I've been looking for people like this to take ideas yeah. I know are so beyond me and give them to me in like straight talk. And it honestly. It's not only saved my faith, it made me more passionate about the Bible and what yeah. what God's doing yeah. than anything in my thirty-two years of church have ever
1: done. And it's, that's just a reality. Am, it's amazing. It's amazing how I mean and the Bible project does this visually, but but for me as a listener to Tim, Tim is a literary guy. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm kind of a nuts and bolts philology, biblical theology guy. He's a literary guy. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. And and that's and and he'll turn that you know to, to serving biblical theology, which is really really important. So they, they don't just provide kind of visual feasty, shallow things. They're yep. de- They have depth on the Bible on the Bible project. They really mm-hmm. do. But the wonderful thing is, the because of the way they do it, they they stick to the meta narrative, mm-hmm. and it, it, it's awesome how if you just stick to the story <laughs> how how appealing and fascinating scripture becomes as opposed to well here's a bible passage i'm going to produce four bullet points out of it or we'll right. throw in a poem you know and, and here's your li- here's your to-do list you know it, it
4: yeah you're absolutely right
1: it, it, there's a reason why it was given to us in, in terms of just the percentage of content of the bible so much of it is story. Yes. I mean, they're they're intelligent, supernatural, you know, God reasons for producing it that way. Mm. And, and, and they have tapped into that, you know, and it's, it's what I've tried to do in Unseen Realm. Um, You know, we, our audiences overlap a little bit, but, you know, I'm shooting in one direction, they're shooting in another. And I, I just look for, I look for people trying to do that. Yeah. And I didn't even do it intentionally. It was like <laughs> something like three years down the road, I realized what, what this really is, this meta-narrative stuff. Like, how, how did I wind up?
4: <laughs> right. But, right. But
1: it makes so much sense when you can look back on it and, and put the focus there.
3: Right. You know, it, it wasn't until we were talking with Dr. John Walton, and he brought up, you know, we have the, the general list of spiritual gifts that are in Scripture. He's like, I I honestly believe that biblical studies, someone that is dedicated to language and linguistics, and someone that is dedicated to doctoral studies, that is also a spiritual gift. Like, not everybody is built for that. And so, Mm -hmm. from that interview, I gained an appreciation for him, for people like yourself, and the work that you do on your podcast, and greater for the Bible Project, because it's things that we Mm -hmm. don't generally think about, but
1: it's 100%. You realize what you just did there. <laughs> you you talked about spiritual gifts in the context of providence how dare you, <laughs> you know? i mean no it, it reflects this notion that well i have this list in the bible that must be exhausted right or well, like other lists that are right. Right. right right
4: you know? <laughs> right right
0: so I, I do, while we, have a, well, while we have you here, I want to hop into one of the big topics, if you don't mind, because I feel sure. like we, you know, everything you've said already, I'm like, we can park there forever. I'm so passionate about it. Um, Obviously, right. so
1: Which, which, which mind grenade do we want to drop? I know,
0: I, exactly. So here's the one I want to drop. This is the one that really got me to go, oh my God, I had no idea this was here. So one of the first episodes, and I, I referenced uh, the, the Battle Project a lot because they really were so influential, but one of the f- first series I heard was uh, this series called God or Gods. It was this, just this idea of like, Tim goes on the show, my first time ever hearing him, and he kind of, you know, he, Tim is a very gentle. He, he nudges you gently. Now, I'm not that way. I'm like, here's the truth. (laughs) Boom, you know? But Tim is not that way. He's patient. And he presented this idea that the term...
1: And he smiles while he's doing it. (laughs) And he smiles.
0: I'm more like you where I can be very brutal, you know? (laughs) But um, anyway, so the idea he presents is that in the Bible, especially, you know, in the Old Testament often, this idea of God, we kind of see it as like Yahweh God, but the idea Elohim doesn't always mean that, and he kind of presents this idea of there could be other lowercase gods in the Bible, and to me, I'm like, oh my God, he's a heretic, this is it, I knew it, too good to be true, but then he mentioned you, I listened to the whole series, it's like 30 episodes, and it was really thought-provoking, so I know you've done a lot of work in this area, can you kind of break down this idea of multiple gods in the Bible, and and what that actually means? I would love to hear that.
1: Yeah, there... (laughs) a lot of this is going to be unfamiliar to your listeners, but there are going to be significant points that are quite familiar Mm. to your listeners. You know, for me, I'll just make it biographical. And this is the first chapter in unseen realm, my watershed event Mm -hmm. where I'm, I'm a doctoral student at a, at a really good Hebrew and Semitics program. I've taught 20 courses. I've taught five years. I'm not a newbie. I've got two master's degrees and, and I'm sitting in church and in, in a discussion with another guy in the Hebrew department, and he just pulls his Hebrew Bible out, sticks it under my nose, and says, You need to read Psalm 82, the first verse in Hebrew. And and I did. It's it's Elohim, okay, which again we knew we, we all kind of know what that term is. Elohim Nitzav Baadat El. So Elohim, God stands or takes his stand in the divine council. You know, we know it's capital G-O-D because Nitzav is a singular participle. I mean, sorry for the grammar spasm, but it's important here. Mm-hmm. So we've got capital G-O-D takes his stand in the midst of the divine, count, you know, in the divine council. And then the next line in the same verse, we have Elohim again, you know, but we have care of Elohim Yishpot, in the midst of the gods. It has to be plural because you can't be in the midst of a singular entity.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: In the midst of the gods, he, the first one. Passes judgment. Hmm. And I looked at that and I thought, wow, that looks like a pantheon. Right. <laughs> you know? Like, how in the world have I never encountered this before? I mean, I'm not a newbie. Hmm. What in the world? And then if you keep reading, you get to verse six, and and this the speaker, again, the, the first capital G-O-D says, I said to all of you, plural, you guys. You're all Elohim, all of you, sons, plural, of the Most High, but you're going to die like men. <laughs> <laughs> it but, does not compute. <laughs> right, right. Like, what, you know, I don't remember a word of the sermon, but, right. but like, like this, this was my watershed event because mm. I, I and, and again, God providentially knew how to push this button and when to push it. Mm. Um. You know, it eventually became the focus of my doctoral work. It's it's pretty much been the focus of everything, you know, this the supernatural worldview of the Bible. But I had to make right. a decision at some point, am I going to let the biblical text say what it says mm. or not? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that wasn't an easy decision.
2: Mm.
1: I had my theology. I liked it. I was good at it. Mm. I had taught it. But you know, I, I had to find an answer for this, and so you know, the first thing I do, I, I'm going to go look at commentaries. Well, the, all the evangelical commentaries, ah, uh, you know, bless your pointed little head, don't nothing to worry about here. The gods are men; they're Israelite judges, mm. they're Israelites generally, they're elders, they're mm. whatever. And I'm like, this is so lame because <laughs> I know, I know, when I go to Psalm eighty-nine. And I get the same council language with the same dudes, you know, sons of the most high, and there is only one most high, that's the God of Israel. So the sons yep. of God. Right. If you go to Psalm 89, the sons of God in the council, and the council is in the skies, it's in the heavens.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, the last time I looked, you know, looking around, there <laughs> aren't a bunch of Jewish guys floating around in the skies or living in the skies, <laughs> you know, that... that are doing what was is described, and, and they're under judgment anyway. You know, it just doesn't make any sense.
4: Right. But
1: if I went to the critical, you know, scholars that have no theological confessions, oh, they love Psalm 82. <laughs> oh man, this is they they probably have Psalm 82 in their in their secular heathen <laughs> devotions every day. You know? Be, because Those because liberals. it allows them to argue that the biblical writers were polytheists, just like everybody else. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And so fortunately, again, providentially, I thought, you know, as I'm encountering no help, right, right. like I'm alone here <laughs> and I got this, I got some decisions to make here, you know, about what, what in the world is going on here? Cause I know a very bad argument when I see one and that's mm-hmm. what I'm getting in evangelical sources. Hmm. It's indefensible, literally.
2: Hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So fortunately, by providence, I had another thought, and that was, I'll bet Jesus knew this verse. Mm -hmm. I'll bet Paul knew it. Mm -hmm. And somehow, the theology that the New Testament so clearly articulates didn't stumble over this. Mm. So there must be an answer. And, And it took me, you know... Uh, probably close to a year to figure this out. And when I, it's one of those things, when you figure it out, you go, you're, you're such an idiot because it's like right <laughs> there in front of your face, you know? Yeah. And, and it, it's, it's what you have in Psalm 82. Yeah. Is this is a product of the biblical worldview. Okay. The, the biblical writers believe that the gods were real. Hmm. Okay, that doesn't mean that, the, that they're polytheists, all right? Because the, the guys at Qumran are, are using this language 160-some times, and they're not liberals. Okay, they separated <laughs> from the Pharisees, all right? They're not liberals. Right. So, like what, and, and a lot of that stuff is in council scenes, you know? So, so let, let's slow down here. What, what, hmm. what could this possibly mean? Okay, it means that the gods are real in, in that they are real spiritual beings. Well, that's a familiar thought. Right. Because if we take the Bible seriously, we believe in, a, in an animated, populated spiritual world. That's the right. most obvious thing in the world. And so it, it, I had the thought well, maybe Elohim is just like a neutral term. Right. Now, now the, the way you get there is you do something boring, like you search for all the places in the Hebrew Bible where Elohim occurs. It's only like 2300.
0: So, oh, okay. If, not that many.
1: <laughs> right. If,
3: so a weekend.
1: If, if you took the Evelyn Wood speed reading course, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, there's a lot of them, but you go through them and you discover that the biblical writers, you know, Hebrew, you know, Hebrew Bible use Elohim of five or six different things that are not the God of Israel. Hmm. That tells you immediately that the word is not about a specific set of unique attributes. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Out of the gate, it tells you that. And what what, what the problem was in my head and what is in the modern head is that we are taught because of Western culture and Western Christianity that when you see the letters G, O, and D on a screen or on a piece of paper in a book, that you're you we mentally default to oh G O and D together mean a unique set of specific attributes, things like right. omniscience, creator, you know, sovereignty, right. all this stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> it's like, well, if that's the case, that, that cannot be the case with Elohim because the biblical writers are using Elohim of of things that are clearly they define as lesser than mm-hmm. the God of Israel. Hmm. And so that that was when the lights went on. It's like, okay, all Elohim, like for Samuel 28, the the medium at Endor, when she mm-hmm. conjures up Samuel for Saul. And you know, she freaks out because whatever she does, we're not actually told what she does, but it, it like works, you know. <laughs> and she freaks out, and, and it reveals to her, like, I'm in trouble now because you're Saul. You know, what I mean, like, like mm. you, this was a trap. And he's like, Don't, don't worry, you're not gonna die. You know, what what does he look like? But but she <sighs> She says, "I see Elohim coming up out of the ground." Mm. And then Saul says, "What does he look like?" Well, he's he's wearing this cloak thing, and his you know oh, it's just a terrible color, you know.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: she describes him, and he's like, "This is the guy." And then when they have the conversation, and you, you know it's Samuel because they're having conversations that they had before, and you know, but it's like no Israelite would think that the deceased Samuel. Is on an attribute level par with the God of Israel. Hmm. Nobody is thinking that, or their dead baby, or their dead, you know, grandma. You know, well, they're both called Elohim, Mike. Right? No, no, you idiot. You only think that's you only think that that way because you've been taught. Yes, to see the letters G O and D as equating to a set of attributes. That is not what the term means. All the term means is that you would use the term Elohim to describe or label something, some entity that lives in the spiritual world. Hmm. They are by nature the the disembodied residents of the spiritual world. Hmm. It's it's actually a term like ruchot, spirits. It's a spiritual being. Hmm. Now, what that means is that in the biblical mindset, the spiritual world has lots of characters, Hmm. And one of the terms you can use of them is Elohim. Okay? Just like spirit. It doesn't mean that they are equal to to, to Yahweh of Israel. What you have is that Yahweh is one of the Elohim that lives in the spiritual world. That's his address. Okay? Hmm. But none of those Elohim are him. And we know that's true, not because, well, that's what the Westminster Confession says, so I'm glad (laughs) you got there, Mike. No. (laughs) No. It's true because they assign, the biblical writers assign certain attributes only to Yahweh of Israel, and they specifically deny those attributes to all others. Hmm. So our theology is intact. Yahweh is species unique among the Elohim. Mm -hmm. But we can use Elohim to describe any of them, because it just means they're a resident of the spiritual world. Problem solved. I mean, there it goes. <laughs> this is why Jesus. And, and the other thing that just really rankled me was if you go to if you go to John chapter ten, I did a whole episode of my podcast on this because this always comes up. I think it's episode one hundred nine, where you know Jesus quotes Psalm eighty two verse six in his debate. You know with with you know some of the Jewish leaders. And John ten thirty, he has said, "I and my Father are one." Hmm. John ten thirty six or so. He says the Father is in me, and I'm in the Father. Mm. These are two clear—you can't parse them any other way but to deity. Mm. All right. In the middle, he quotes Psalm eighty-two six when the Jews get mad at him for saying I and my Father are one. And and if if you think that Psalm eighty-two is about humans, then what you have Jesus doing is you have him backpedaling.
2: Mm. Right?
1: You have him. You have him stepping back from the claim. No, he's not. What he's doing is he's saying, hey, doesn't your own Bible say that there are more sons of God, you know, that are spiritual beings? Doesn't, doesn't that category exist in your Bible? Sons of God who are spiritual beings, not men, but spiritual beings? And they're like, yeah. And
2: then, but you take,
1: you take that nugget and juxtapose it with the other two. Jesus is claiming, well, I'm one of those. I'm, I'm really, you know, uh, you know, the son of God, but I'm more than that mm. because I and my father are one. Mm. And the father is in me and I'm in the father. In other words, I am Lord of the council. Mm. So you, better, you better basically shut your yap okay, <laughs> at this
2: point.
1: Yeah. I mean, he doesn't back off from the defense of his own deity at all. Mm. He goes to Psalm 82 to poke him in the eye with it. Mm. You know, because they're not saying, well, we're all sons of God. You know, all the Jews, we're children of God. Mm. Jesus is saying, you know, I know I realize you're picking up stones to stone me, dudes, but you
2: know, <laughs> for,
1: you know, it's like the Barney song, I love you, you love me. Like it's like, we're all just one happy family here. <laughs> we're all the children of God now. It's like Oprah. You know, Jesus does Oprah in John chapter 10. We're all children. Of, no, hmm. that's not what he's saying. Hmm. He's using Psalm 82 to stick it to them.
2: Hmm.
1: Okay, I'll tell you. You know who you're dealing with here. You know, hmm. we'll just see if you can figure it out. Right. You know, it. it when, when I started to see things like this, it's like, you know, you go through an angry fra- phase where.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> why didn't anybody teach me this? Why did it take me so long? Not, not only to noodle this, yeah, but to even know it was there. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm just a millennial or you know a pastor somewhere. And I'm out on the internet, and I get plastered with Psalm 82, or or somebody in my church brings this to me, and I have no idea. Right. I, I mean, I I give them all. They're just Israelites. Don't read Psalm 89. Just stop <laughs> with Psalm 82. You know, it's, it's like, hmm. what are we doing? Right. Right. Doing? Yeah. Um. So yeah. Yeah. The gods. The gods are real. <laughs> because the biblical writers thought they were real, you know. It specifically, you get in. It took me to Deuteronomy thirty-two, eight. You know, mm-hmm. with, with the Dead Sea Scroll readings there that, that some English translations now incorporate, thankfully. Mm. But but that just opened the floodgates too with this, you know, the cosmic geography, the whole worldview, which is where Daniel gets his the everybody knows Daniel, oh Prince of Persia, Prince of Britain. Pre- oh, this is so cool, supernatural beings over geographical regions. This is all that nobody ever asks, Well, where did Daniel get that? Hmm. <laughs> did
2: like he right. just make
1: that up? Was it right. no, he gets it from Deuteronomy thirty two, eight. And if you understand that, then you know who the princes are. You know that when, when Paul dips into Daniel 10 for some of his vocabulary through the Septuagint, you know who the principalities and the powers are. They're the gods of the nations. They are the mm. fallen gods. They are the defeated gods of the Old Testament. They're still here, and they still want the same thing, your destruction. Okay, they want to divorce you from Yahweh. That's what they want. You know, it, it, it's like this whole worldview. Uh, it, 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 it bleeds into so many passages. And, and it has explanatory power for not only what's going on in a passage, but why the passage says what it says. How this passage connects to another passage. You know, I, I, I tell people all the time, look, you know, for, I'm not a charismatic. I mean, I have charismatic friends who love my content, you know, for obvious reasons. <laughs>
2: I'm,
1: <sure>. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure not a charismatic, <laughs> but, but a, a lot of them will say you're like the antidote to the wackiness.
4: Hmm. You know, thank you. Yes.
1: You know, it, it, and, and I'm, I'm happy to, to play that role, you know, but, but my, when, when people talk to me about interpreting scripture, look, the best interpretation of a passage is not the most supernatural one. Hmm. Okay. Rather, the best interpretation of a passage is the one that not only works in the passage, but works everywhere else so that that passage is repurposed and used. Hmm. That's what you're looking for. Hmm. And and that's that's how you build out the matrix, you know, to, to borrow that, you know, metaphor. So yeah. That, that's what I'm trying to do in Unseen Realm and in the podcast. It's like, look, it's supposed to make sense. Right. The Bible, right. what a novel thought. It's supposed to make sense. <laughs>
2: Nothing in
1: it is thrown away. There's not like, oh, I gotta finish this book before midnight or I'm not gonna pass the course. Right, right. It's like everything is there to serve some larger purpose in the meta-narrative, in the world. right? right. It, it, it all has a role to play. And so that's what we've lost. Right. You, you, don't, you don't ever have to run into me. You're still going to be able to understand the gospel. You right. know, you don't need Mike's books, Frito you know, for Salvation. It just, you don't need any of that. But, but what you do need it for, and these other things like the Bible Project, is, look, it's supposed to make sense, and, and what we're trying to do is show you how right we're trying to show its coherence to you so that you will you'll learn how to approach scripture better you'll learn kind of what questions should run through your head how to connect dots just the thought that maybe these dots should be connected i mean just that will take yeah. people a, a considerable distance down the road and and that's what we're after that's what we're after so you know the coherence of scripture the coherence of the meta narrative with an eye toward not abandoning the supernatural worldview or pretending, pretending that our modern materialistic context, our our post enlightenment rationalism Hmm. is the worldview of the biblical writers because it's not right. Right.
0: So let me ask you this because I mean that so much was said, it was phenomenal. I want to get a little specific on one part. So I've always understood, this idea of, you know, the fall of, you know, like, I guess angels and demons, I, I always understood the hierarchy to be, or I was taught this, you have angels and then you have God and that's it. And then one day, you know, you're Lucifer right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then one day, Lucifer's like, I want your power, God. So he rebelled and took some angels and then became demons. And then that's who, you know, tempted Eve. And that's all we got. But you you're saying that, no, the Bible has a lot more, characters to fill out in the supernatural world including this idea of gods who are overseeing like parts of creation. So how does how does the fall work with this?
1: Yeah, you're what most of what you just said is correct, but it's it's quite incomplete. Some of it is incorrect. There's you know one or one or two points. But but this is your summary is really good because that's what you get in church tradition. Yes. White hats, black hats, real short list of characters. Right. What I'm saying is, is if you, if you asked the average Christian again, why the world is such a mess, what you just said is going to be the answer. Okay. Well, the fall and Satan, demons, and, you know, fallen angels. And Okay. There we go. If you ask the same question to a literate, you know, Israelite, you know, who had most of his Bible or a first century Jew, who had, you know, his whole, the whole Bible. Mm. That is not the answer you would get to that question. Mm. And the answer you would get to the question is, well, there are actually three reasons why the world is such a chaotic mess.
2: Mm.
1: Now, the first of the three was what happened in Eden, which is typically we're taught that's the only one to look at.
0: Right. Right. That 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 is, that is the fall. Everything hinges on that fall.
1: So we've got a supernatural rebellion, there's a supernatural being that rebels against God's authority and tries to trip up the humans, and then they rebel, and, you know, the result of that is is really two major things. One is death, okay, everything dies now, Uh, Eden is no more, we are divorced from the, the source of life who is God, who had come to earth to dwell with us in his house called Eden and all that kind of stuff, okay? So we have death, and, and naturally with that, we have ultimately estrangement from God. So that, those are significant problems. But that's one of three. As you keep reading in Genesis, then you have Genesis 6, 1 through 4, and this is the one we're taught to not see. <laughs> yeah.
0: I read this, I'm like, what? What just happened?
2: <laughs>
1: right. We're taught to not see the sons of God. And even though that phrase everywhere else is used of, of you know supernatural beings, you know, don't read that way here because now we've got you know, we just they're just men again. None of none of the traditions and none of the, the the clues in the Hebrew Bible that link back to this passage say that zero nada. Okay, that that is something that you know, and and this this used to be the worldview of, the, of not only the Jewish community because they can read their text and they know what the phrase means. All right. Mm. But also the early church up until, I mean, Augustine deserves most of the blame for this, but there was a guy before him, you know, uh, African, Africanus, who rejected the supernatural reading of Genesis 6, and then Augustine just carried the load. and hmm. because, it, because he was Augustine, everybody followed him, okay? Right, right. So that's where the Sethite view comes from. But again, none of that makes coherent sense in light of what else the Bible does with that passage. hmm you know, and, and I go through all of the, all the data, all the reasons, both in the in unseen realm and also in the demons book and in reversing Hermon as well. But what you have is you have a supernatural rebellion again. the 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 major impact of it is not the weird nephilim, even though everybody loves that. Yeah, you know, you know, superhero, supervillain characters. You right, know. right. Okay, but but that's not the big concern. The big concern is what the 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 sons of God these supernatural beings who come to earth what they teach humans Hmm. because out of that comes depravity now let me just back up a little bit if you asked a a first century jew where demons come from they're going to say oh it's genesis 6. they're they're, they're the disembodied demons are the disembodied spirits of dead nephilim and you think you're nuts like like what what (laughs) where did that come from but but there are pieces of it, uh, and, and, and oh, Dead Sea Scrolls agree on this. You know, Intertestamental Second Temple Jewish Literature agrees on it. I mean, right now you can buy whole doctorals, you know, published doctoral theses on this. You know, Archie Wright's book, The Origin of Evil Spirits, is great. Hmm. You know, every... It's, it's a there. You guys know in theology, it's really rare to get a unified tradition on anything. Yes. <laughs> yes. This is one of those.
4: <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> Everybody says the same thing.
4: Okay.
2: That's important. But, but,
1: but we wanted to throw this one out. You know, like when, when <laughs> because it's too weird. It's yeah. Too weird. Okay. Well, you know, again, this is where all the traditions go. If you, there are passages that have the Rephaim. Who are descendants of the Nephilim, you know, the Anakim and all this stuff in Deuteronomy in Sheol in the underworld. Hmm. So there's a connection between the disembodied spirits of these Rephaim rulers or kings or warriors being in, you know, in hell, essentially. Okay. Hmm. And and this is all Second Temple writers are doing. They're, they're taking these nuggets. And then they're building out from the, from the data points, they're building out a, a, a systematized theology of the material. They're, they're not making it up either. They're not insane. They're, they're looking at their Hebrew Bible and, and connecting dots. It's all they're mm. doing. Mm. So, but, but we just don't connect those dots. We don't mm. want to go there because, again, it's too weird. It's just too bad that, sec, that Peter, Second Peter refers to the angels, plural, that sinned. Well, those are the third of the angels that fell with Satan, Mike. Don't you know your Bible? (laughs) Yeah, I do. And I do, and it might shock you, but there isn't a single verse that ever says that. Mm. And you can use a concordance if you look up the number three or third with the word, you know, angel. Zero occurrences until the book of Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible. Mm. And even then, the war in heaven there breaks out in response to the birth of the Messiah. It is nothing, it's very, you know, you know, pro tip. Okay. Interpretive pro tip. (laughs) Jesus was born after the time of Adam and Eve. (laughs) You know, it it, the the stuff that that we use to explain away Mm. Genesis 6 is just nutty. That's what's nutty. Mm. And, And I understand that it's weird. You know, and yeah. I know people, well, maybe, maybe the biblical writers just sort of accepted this idea and they were just writing about it, but they weren't really committed to it or they knew better. You know, it's like, that's a nice try, but <laughs> but you know what? I'm going to put on my village atheist hat now <laughs> and say, oh, you mean like the virgin birth?
2: Hmm. Hmm.
1: Oh, you mean like the incarnation
2: hmm.
1: or the Trinity or the hypostatic? You bet you didn't expect an atheist to know the term like the hypostatic union, did you? <laughs> You know, in, in other words, what makes this one too weird to believe Right. against all these other ones? Yeah, right. Again, newsflash, nothing we believe conforms to a scientific, materialistic, <laughs> post-enlightenment, rationalistic worldview. Zero. Hmm. It all extends from a single idea. Is there a God or not? Hmm. Because if there is... Then we get to ask really simple questions. Well, if God exists, is He capable of creating beings like Himself? Why wouldn't He
2: be? Mm.
1: Are those beings capable of doing things that He did, kind of like we can, because we're in the image of God, and we have creative ability and power, and you know, we use our intellectual and our physical resources? Might they use their intellectual resources to do things that, that are beyond us, but they're, they're, they're exercising creativity? You know, could God not create beings that that are capable of doing that like us, except we're embodied and they're not?
2: Hmm. Hmm.
1: Is there a verse that says that they can't become embodied at will? No. Hmm. So maybe God left that on the table. Is that possible? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, these are really simple questions. Right. They all extend from the question of theism, Hmm. which, again, Theologians and unbelievers have demonstrated that is a coherent proposition. They have demonstrated this for millennia. Hmm. It, it is on sure footing. It cannot be overturned. Hmm. So if you're going to accept the idea that there is a God and that that God actually can do things <laughs> and, right. and acts with intention, he's got a brain, so to speak. Okay. Then all of this stuff is, is on equal footing. Hmm. All these ideas, because they extend from theism, it's not—they're—they're not—they're hmm. not things to be believed because science can validate them. Science can't validate all the points of our faith; hmm. it's beyond science. Hmm. So, can we just own that? But it, but anyway, in the, in the story, the, these you know these beings who are in rebellion—they not only come and produce the nephilim, but they they teach humans terrible things that. Hmm. that Proliferate depravity, lead to self destruction. Why do Peter and Jude, when they talk about false teachers, why do they bring up the you know angels? Hmm. Because <laughs> they know they're Old Testament. <laughs> <Okay>? <laughs> like they they know that these two ideas go together: false hmm. teaching, supernatural rivals. Okay. Hmm.
2: It, it, wow.
1: Why 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 do why where do we get terms like? Evil spirits, unclean spirits, in the Gospels. Well, if you go back in Second Temple literature, this is what these are. The, this is, these are the terms, especially unclean spirits. This is the terminology used to reference the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. Hmm. Because how does the how does Leviticus how does the Torah define uncleanness? Icky? No.
2: <laughs> it's a
1: thing. It's a thing that results from or reflects two things that don't belong together, Hmm. an impure mixture. This is the logic behind unclean spirits. And it it points right back to Genesis six. It's why the Dead Sea Scrolls call them bastard spirits because that's what they are. Hmm. The language makes sense on its own terms, but that's only rebellion. Number two, (laughs) Rebellion number three is as as if things aren't bad enough. (laughs) we're,
0: we're, We're depraved here. How worse can they get?
1: Well, well, and this is why Genesis, here's another one. Has anybody in the audience ever asked themselves this question? Well, I read Genesis 6, 1 through 4, sons of God, Nephilim, all that weird stuff. And then you look at verse 5, and God saw, you know, the wickedness of mankind upon the earth, that every thought of the imagination of his heart was only evil continually.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: How do the first four verses get to verse 5? well if you know the backstory and again hmm. I, I spent a lot of time in the backstory the mesopotamian antecedents to this and just the whole logic of false teaching and the depravity it makes perfect sense
2: hmm.
1: if you think they're just men they're, you, know, I, you know i don't know what peter's doing talking about angels that sinned i guess he just had a bad day or something <laughs>
0: Right.
1: <laughs> you know he, he hadn't read augustine
0: you know something in his tea or something who knows
2: yeah <laughs> yeah so
1: you know you you God sends the flood and, and, you know, this is part of the response, part of the, the flood. And so we, it, it's hit the reset button. God doesn't give up on his original plan. He's not mm-hmm. going to destroy everything, but he's going to save a remnant. Hmm. And then he, then he repeats the Edenic command to Noah and his kids, like just to telegraph, okay, this is, we're going to kick start Eden again. <laughs> just, you know, you guys ought to know this, this language by now. Right. And, and so, you know, be fruitful, multiply, spread over the earth, you know? And and so Genesis 11 has this great line in it where the people get together and they say, let's build a tower. Lest we go out and obey what God has told us to do. (laughs)
2: Lest
1: we we go out from this place, you know, it's like, Oh, exactly what you're supposed to do. They don't do. Hmm. And so they, they build this tower. Now we know the story, and and you'd say, well, I don't see any supernatural beings in in Genesis 11. You're right. You're right. You only see them if you get to Deuteronomy 32. Because mm-hmm. in Deuteronomy 32:8, I mean, I'll just I'll just uh, use the ESV here because the ESV actually uses the Dead Sea Scrolls, which hint you know might be a good idea.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> when when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, okay, when we know. The nations become what they are as a result of the flood, because we have Genesis 10 right after Genesis 9, and we get the whole list of nations, and all right. Mm -hmm. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, again, we know when that happened, that's the the whole Babel thing, after the flood, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. Ooh, there's that phrase again. Ouch. (laughs) Right. Or those, those Israelite elders before the laws <laughs> of Israel are really busy.
4: <laughs> right.
1: Okay. A lot of your translations will say he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the, the, to the number of the children of Israel or something like that. There is no Israel. Hmm. At the time of Babel, go read Genesis 10 for all the nations. There is no Israel. Israel happens after Babel when Abraham is called. That's its hmm. beginning. Chapter 11. It, chapter 11. What a coincidence. You know, it, it, it's like there's
0: a story at work here like, and it's, it's unfolding. Like
2: <laughs> you know, it, it,
1: uh, but, but what happens is what, what, what essentially, you know, to, to cut to the chase here, verse 9 sure. is really important. So he fixes the nations, their borders, and their inheritance according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion, Yahweh's portion, is his people. Jacob is his allotted inheritance. So, you know, this this is looking back on on how the nations are one thing, and then Israel is something unique. Mm. Because in the flow of the story, Israel gets created after, you know, the Babel event. And, and it, this allotment language is important. So what, what you essentially have is, I, I refer to the Babel event as the Romans 1 event of the Old Testament. Hmm. Where God says, I've had it. I can't believe these people are rebelling again. Not only are they not dispersing, but they're building this tower. What, what's the tower? I mean, everybody agrees it's a ziggurat. Well, why would, you, why would you build one of these? Well, if you know something about ziggurats, they're part of temple complexes. Hmm. Why do you build temples? To locate the deity to where you are, right? And God says, "No, well, that's <laughs> not what I just told you to do. Hmm. I am not to be tamed. I am not at your beck and call. Hmm. I've had it." And so God divorces humanity; he disinherits them. He, hmm. You're done. We're done. We are done. Relationship severed. I'm going to assign each of you to other members of the heavenly host. I'm going to give you what you apparently you don't want me to be your God. So I'm going to put placeholders in here. Now, I, I don't think that they were evil to begin with. I think they are put in the, in, in these charges and it just, it doesn't take too long before it basically goes to hell in a handbasket because mm. if you read through Deuteronomy, you know, Deuteronomy 4, 19 and 20, God allots the nations to these gods and the gods to the nations. These turn out Deuteronomy 17, Deuteronomy 29, Deuteronomy 32, 17, they seduced the Israelites into worshiping them instead of mm. Yahweh. Psalm 82, you know, you, you have at the very end of the Psalm, when, when God says, Hey, all of you are, are Elohim, sons of the most High, but you're going to die like men. Mm. You're going to fall like any prince. And then you get, you get to the last verse and the psalmist, you know, exclaims, Rise up, O Lord, you know, God, take back the nations.
2: Mm. Okay,
1: th- this is, it's a judgment. Hmm. God is going to to punish the host of heaven in the heavens, in the spiritual world, Isaiah 34, you get Isaiah 24. But this is where Daniel gets his theology that the nations around Israel are governed by other supernatural entities. This is why Paul, who, who occasionally uses the word demon, can and he does so because of the influence of the Septuagint. I, I cover all this in chapter two in my demons book. But most of the time, Paul refers to the powers of darkness as principalities, powers, rulers, thrones, dominions. What do they all have in common? They are terms of geographical dominion. Hmm. So this is a third group. So we've got Satan, the Satan figure that emerges in the wake of the fall story. We've got the depravity problem with Genesis 6. Again, all the traditions have the the offending sons of God sent to the abyss, you know, locked up in hell until the time of the end, okay? But then you've got the Nephilim. They're a residual problem, but they get killed off. But then other disembodied spirits get to be demons that seek re-embodiment and torment us. Plus, they taught us terrible things that led to our self-destruction and depravity. So we're a mess. And now we get to be fragmented
2: Hmm. from
1: each other. Now we get to be divorced from the true God, and under the dominion of powers, Allah Psalm 82, that seek to sow chaos among us. What a mess. Yeah. <laughs> okay, what a mess. And and the thing is, the neat thing, if you can say a neat thing about all this, is that if you believe this, this these three, you know, these these three uh, you know stopping points, three rebellions instead of one, you expect the Messiah to fix all three.
2: Mm-hmm. Not just mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and this is why I wrote re- reversing Hermon, but you know, I, I covered it in, in the Demons book as well. And, and the way Jesus is presented in places, in passages, in conversations, the coming of, of the Lord and his work on the cross and the resurrection and the ascension, all mm-hmm. of it, address all three points in any given passage.
2: Mm-hmm. It
1: reverses everything. It's not just, I'm the cure for death. It's not huh. just bad, everlasting life. It's about being a cure for depravity. When, when I go, the Spirit's going to come. The Spirit, the Lord is the Spirit. All this kind of talk in the New Testament. Yeah, That doesn't happen unless He ascends. Okay, the New Covenant doesn't happen unless He ascends. You know, all of this kind of stuff that I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put my law in your heart and, you know, the Spirit's indwelling, all this stuff. And and then you know the the whole healing of the nations theme. I mean, how many mm-hmm. times do you see that in the New Testament? Yeah. Where the Gentiles are referred to as the people of God, they are brought back into relationship. Uh-huh. I mean, the the work of Christ addresses all three wow. rebellions. Wow. It is a coherent story. It is a coherent biblical theological picture that when if you if you if you get the framework, you will begin to see. How the points of the framework just, you know, dip into, drip into all sorts of passages in both testaments. Wow. And you know what? That's the way it's supposed to be. <laughs>
2: hmm.
1: you know, that, that's the way under Providence that the thing was, was written. Hmm. It, it's not random, it's intelligent, it's purposeful. Hmm. Everything contributes something to the whole. You know, and, and I'm not one of these that says, "Well, every passage in the Bible is about Jesus." No, no, no the menstrual laws really aren't. <laughs> <laughs> the law is about where you put poop. You know, that, that's really not about Jesus. But it, but it does teach sacred geography from from profane geography.
2: Mm-hmm. It
1: does teach that blood is the source of life, and who gave the blood? Why are Israelites forbidden from eating consuming the blood? Because it's not theirs. It comes from the life source. It goes Mm -hmm. back to God Mm -hmm. and you bury it so that other gods don't get it. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Okay. You waste it on the ground. You know, all of this is a coherent worldview Mm -hmm. that, that intertwines what's going on 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 earth while things are going on in the heavenlies. Mm -hmm. There's relationships and rivalries and conflicts in both spheres and they operate in tandem. You know, the whole as in heaven, so on earth. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very wow. short way to, to describe a very large concept with lots of facets to it. Yeah. But but this is what the Bible is. Hmm. Okay. And, and so what, what I try to do, what Tim is trying to do, you know, and others, you know, is is we are trying to build the matrix hmm. for you so that you can have the framework in your head and now just go to town. Like, yeah. like re-experience the thrill of discovering the stuff that's in your Bible, yeah. Because now you have some place to put the data points, yeah. You have a means by which to think about their interconnectivity, uh, yeah. It, it's not just memorize this verse or this mm. cold list. I'm not against memorization. I mean, you know, but you know what I mean. It, it's yep. yeah. Bible memorization is not Bible study. I'm sorry yep. to say that, but it, it's true. Mm. There, there's a lot to think about. There's a lot to marvel at. To, to me, the, the best defense uh, of, of, you know, the sort of the, the abiding interest of God is the Bible, because it there's no way it could have just emerged.
2: Right. Mm. <laughs> like
1: like it, it takes it takes God's interest for a very long period of time
2: mm. <laughs> with
1: lots of hands of people that will never know their name.
4: <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Right. But the
1: end result is like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there it is. And it's 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 wonderfully coherent, and it, it tells us the truth about ourselves, about what's going on in the world, yeah, about, about what reality really is. Yeah. You know, it's just to me, it's a thing of wonder. So I didn't I didn't lose my faith over it. I, I'm, you know, I could have been really damaged if I'd have oh they're just men and I'm not going to read Psalm eighty nine. Close my eyes, you know, why are your eyes closed, Dad? When you read the Bible Oh, it's Psalm eighty nine. I'm past it now, <laughs>
2: uh-huh. you know. It,
1: it, <laughs>
3: one one thing i enjoy that you wrote in unseen realm is kind of looking at the supernatural realm as a prototype or a template for what god was doing in the human realm
1: oh gosh yeah Uh, (laughs) i mean when when that hit me it's like this is just too cool you know because that that is a contention of the book that All right, I'm I'm not maybe you guys have heard me say this before. It is not an exaggeration. I'm not lying. I wish I could even say I was shading the truth, but I'm not. This is the tragic truth. (laughs) (laughs) I until my Psalm 82 event when when I was in grad school at Wisconsin, until that providential rattling of my cage, okay, I had been through Bible college, I had been through seminary. I had, you know, been through, you know, a couple of years of grad school, I had taught for 5 years. I spent, I had literally in in like the first, I don't know, 10 years of my schooling whatever it was. I literally had one clock hour, not credit hour, <laughs> clock hour, 60 minutes of instruction on angels and
4: demons. Mm, right. Wow.
1: Now, if, if you go through that, you, you are immediately left with the impression that this stuff cannot be important. Hmm. Otherwise, they'd spend more time on it. Right. But what I've come to realize is that the more we know about God's, the way God looks at the spiritual world and his, his family and, and those who have rebelled against him in the spiritual world, the way they are talked about and described and tasked and their status, those things are templates. They are starting points for all of the vocabulary for how God describes
2: us. Hmm.
1: And, and that is intentional because if you go back to Eden, God already has a family. He already has a supernatural family. He comes to Earth with that family. This is why there's plurals in Genesis one twenty six. It's not the Trinity. Mm
2: -hmm. There's lots of
1: technical reasons, you know, why this is the case, and I go through that in unseen realms. Sure, lots of academic, you know, reasons.
2: (laughs) But but God
1: wants a new family of embodied creatures that He's going to call humans. Okay, Mm. and He wants to be with them, and they with Him. With his other family, and there's supposed to be this symbiotic relationship where God comes to Earth, and dwells with these new people, and they all coexist and get along and enjoy the creation and the partnerships that He has with them. But them in the spiritual world, humans in the terrestrial world, hmm. but it's supposed to be there's, there's supposed to be this point of intersection, this spiritual and physical utopia. Okay, that's what it's supposed to be. And not coincidentally, Hmm. if you peek at the end of the book of Revelation, that's what it is.
2: Hmm.
1: Heaven returns to earth. Right. That's not an accident. Hmm. And along the way, God speaks about relationships and and the status of humans in ways that that he describes these other guys, too. I think that one of the neatest examples is in the Old Testament, holy ones is overwhelmingly used of supernatural beings, members of the heavenly host. Mm. And there, there are a couple of times where it's also humans, which incidentally is, is it's in the later text as well. Mm. But in the New Testament, hagioi, holy ones, is never used of the supernatural members of the heavenly host. It's used only of human believers. Mm. Might there be a reason for that? Huh. Yeah, it is, because we're grafted back into the family.
4: Right. Right. We
1: are we, we're wow. not only going to occupy sacred space, we are hmm. space because the spirit indwells us. Mm-hmm. God lives in us now. We are the temple. You know, we you know all the all the temple talk of the New Testament. Yeah. I believe I mean there are just things like this that there're threads to trace across the testaments that really tie together the supernatural world and the human world in very specific ways that if you, if you're not, if you, if you're dismissive of that, either intentionally or in my case, I never knew. Right. I mean, nobody ever showed me and I'm not, I'm not going to go look because if it was important, I would have gotten more than 60 minutes.
4: Right. Years. Right. Right.
1: Why should I waste my time? Right. You know, do, you have, just
4: do you have time for just one more question before yeah. we Let you go. Go ahead, Rob. Yeah.
3: So one of the questions that I've been thinking about is, uh, you know, overlapping of the two views and the two realms is why then is salvation only offered to the human realm and not to the supernatural realm? So Jesus came as a human to die and, and fix those three um, rebellions that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Why is that salvation only offered to the humans? and not to the rebellious spirits, or the unclean spirits, or yeah. any of the fallen. <clears throat> the, the,
1: the simple but unsatisfying answer to that <laughs> is that the Bible is primarily our story. Right. And so we're the focus. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 be- the more honest answer is, I don't really know why God made that decision, but it's very evident that he did. Right. Mm. So there, there must have been, you know, all we can do is speculate what is there about these, these weaker, lesser creatures, you know, on in this place that God creates just so that they have a place to live because they're embodied because they can't like live you know, the spiritual world. Right. You know, <clears throat> what is it about them that is somehow, you know, qualitatively different? You know, I, I don't think we're given a clear answer to that. I, I think you know we, we do get certain trajectories, you know, to think about when it comes to that. There's again, we're we're not given a chronology here, but, but my mm. sense is sure that the experiment was over almost as soon as it got started. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so
1: so there may be a lingering sense of I not only have to Redeem this so that mm. it isn't a failure. And, and 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 again, God God knew what was going to happen. Again, God is prepared for beings that He created, like who are like Him. One property of which is free will. He's prepared for them to use it and just mm. go astray because, newsflash, they aren't Him. They're like Him, but they're not Him. Right. So even before the, the whole thing gets going, God knows what's going to become necessary if they fail. Hmm. he's going to have to always take the initiative to redeem this. He's going to enter into covenants. The covenants are with people. So you can't change the parameters of the covenants and cheat and say, well, they're not with people anymore. It's just between you and me. (laughs) No. So God's going to have to become a man, which is, you know, where we get this in Hebrews 10, this conversation within the members of the Trinity. God knows all this. Hmm. Okay. So out of the gate, he has taken plans to make sure this isn't a failure. You know, you could appeal to the chronology and say, well, it was kind of over before it started. And so maybe God's like, you know, I, I, I need to do this because I want it to work. And so I'm not only gonna do that, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna vent my wrath against the ones who tried to, to, to ruin this for me. I think that's probably a, a better trajectory hmm. than the first part of it. But nevertheless, we're not specifically told that. Hmm. In other words, the, the humans rebel because they're deceived. Right. You know, initially, I mean, they 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 have more high-handed rebellion later on with idolatry and and whatnot. But the other rebellion involved no deception. It was a high-handed effort mm-hmm. to displace God. Hmm. And so we, I can speculate that that God took that with more offense hmm. than the other. I mean, yeah. maybe that's the answer. I, again, I don't know. Right. Because we're not told. But it's very evident that he makes this choice right? This is the way that the whole series, the whole you know, story is presented to us.
4: Yeah. So you've really
0: given us, I mean, I can tell that you've given us the 10,000 foot view and we can see the surface, but we're not even close to even touching it, let alone going deep. Well, but this is why
1: th- I appreciate is- Right. We, we, you know, it's like, well, I could do a hundred hours of podcast to write a book. <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: I, I Honestly, I get it because especially to us, you know, Western post enlightenment readers, this is, this is very foreign, even in our own faith, it's foreign to us, you know? So,
1: you know, let, uh, let me, let me close with, with the metaphor for people who are, who sure. are, they've probably been uncomfortable for the last 45 minutes. <laughs> so, you know, what I, another thing I tell people is look, and I, and I hope they'll look at my resume to know that I'm not just saying this, but look, I'm your friend. Okay. Right. I'm your friend. What, what I want, what I'm going to ask you to do in a, in a book like unseen realm. And, and again, that that's, that's an academic book. It has lots of footnotes, but it's got like almost 3000 reviews on Amazon. Most, mostly 99% are by lay people. Okay? Mm. I had a good editor. You know, it's very readable. So don't, mm. don't be scared by books with footnotes. If it, I did write supernatural, which is, just the, the core ideas of, of unseen realms. So that, that's there for those people too. But, you know, you, you, you look at all this and I lost my train of thought here. I'm trying to pick it up again. Uh, what, what were you saying?
0: Well, what I was saying was, I was going to ask you, what do we, how do we, get these kinds of stories out more because it just seems like our evangelical culture has a very particular narrative that doesn't include this. Uh,
1: I I got, I got my trajectory now. Perfect. the the, (laughs) the short answer is, is if you're a pastor or a teacher, you have to be able to start with things that are familiar to your audience. Uh, you know, talk to them about the stuff in the book about imaging. Mm
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It really, it really matters whether we have a defensible view of the image of God or not.
2: Mm. Yeah.
1: You know, for ethics, not not only theology, but ethics,
2: mm.
1: you know, start with the, the, the two Yahweh's idea in the Old Testament, that there's a transcendent Yahweh and there's God come as a man. Sometimes they're in the same scene. That's mm. a backdrop for how Jews could accept the idea of Jesus being God as well as the God of heaven.
2: Mm.
1: It has very deep Old Testament roots. So start with something familiar, and here, here was my trajectory. I. I I tell people, look, I'm your friend. And I, would, I know this is going to be a bumpy ride at places. Mm. So what I'm asking you to do is I'm asking you to get in the car. And I'm going to tell you, I know how to take you from point A to point B. I've been to point B many times. We'll get there. Mm. You're going to get there safe and sound. And so you get in the car and we start driving and you look out the window and nothing looks the same.
2: Mm.
1: And you start getting freaked out. <laughs> like, like, who's this crazy man behind the wheel? Right? <laughs> right, what
2: happened? <laughs>
1: and and it's like, look, you got you got to trust me. I'm a normal, dare I say, even boring, <laughs> Trinitarian, evangelical, conservative, theological kind of guy. You know. Mm. Um, if you're, if you're charismatic, I'm not going to, I'm not going to nag you about that or, 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 I mean, you're not in my crosshairs, right, if you're right, right. charismatic, you probably feel better already. You know, <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm none of these things. They don't matter. You know, it, what, what matters to me is the, the core ideas that I'm with you all. Mm. I can sign your doctrinal statements, you know, all this, all these confessions, but I'm going to tell you to be honest with you and say, the way I get to those conclusions mm. may be dramatically different. And along the way, if you have an argument in defense of one of those things that we both believe, but I know your argument stinks, I'm going to burn it in front of your eyes. <laughs> okay. So I'm, I'm just preparing you now. And you have to realize I'm doing you a favor because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to replace it with something better. It's, it's better to encounter me, your friend, doing this than if you go off to, to university or college. And you get the professor that can't wait to get to class mm. to get his hands on a few Christians. Right. Because they'll burn your, eye, your, your, your arguments in front of your eyes and never replace them.
4: Right, right.
1: They'll, ju- they'll just let you cry <laughs> and fear.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right.
1: That's what they'll do. Mm. I know those people. I've, <laughs> I've been in some of those environments. Mm. They're there. Mm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so I'm asking people to trust me and this is why I do interviews, you know, it, it's like, I understand. I understand, but I'm going to try to help you do better and think better. And when you get to the other side and you realize, wow, now everything looks familiar. You know, my nice. theology is here. It's safe. <laughs> Even though I don't really, you know, necessarily, I still wonder about how I got here. Right. But I'm here. <laughs> but, but now that I'm here, the, the, the roadmap, which is the Bible, is just so much more amazing.
3: Yes. Than I yes. thought it was. And yes. some of those gaps that we had yep. before are now filled.
1: Some of those gaps are filled. I took detours that were awesome. Yeah. yeah. I took more time, but man, I'm glad I took that detour.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, th- this is this is what, again, and I, I can I can say this not I mean I, I'm not when I worked at Lagos that they they intentionally kept me out of marketing.
0: <laughs> I wonder why. I'm going to burn your idea in front of your
1: eyes. <laughs> we had a, we had a few interesting meetings. Like, that. like no, you can't say that. <laughs> <it's> the truth is, <laughs> no, you can't.
0: A man for my own
4: heart. In a l-
1: different way. <laughs> so I, I'm not I'm not telling your audience to like to sell books, even though that that's important, you know, because I get to write other books. Yes, yes. But I'm telling them this because all of that happened to me. Hmm. I lived all of it. Mm-hmm. I understand the trepidation. Yeah. I understand the uncertainty of it. Okay. I get it. Mm. But just just stick with it. Dip your toe in. And if you're if you're a leader, find places to build bridges. Mm-hmm. Uh, the things that, that your your people already hold dear. And then start, you know, navigating some of this other stuff that contributes to those important things. And and you know, spark their imagination a little bit. Right. You know, put some fascination back, you know, in, in, in scripture, it shouldn't be hard because there's plenty, plenty in there. That's just, you know, begging to be discovered. Yeah. So I would approach it that way. Mm-hmm.
0: Great. Well, listen, on that note, we are going to let you go. I appreciate you making the time. Um, and like you said, I really believe that people like you and and all the others out there, you're adding so much life and, and color to the Bible. Um, and you're adding so many, you know, my analogy is always music. Cause I'm a musician. You're adding more music tracks to the song, you know, like you're adding a vocal track and a choir track. And, and it's like, Whoa, this song is so much more complex than what I've been maybe led to believe originally. So you're not changing the song. You're just spilling it out. And, uh, the work that you guys do is, I mean, if we can encourage you, just keep going because we are listening and we are into it and we want to know more. So thank you for the time. And, and thank you for the work that
4: you do.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you.
4: Absolutely.
0: I'm recording this literally 30 seconds after Dr. Michael Heiser came on our show and blew our minds. And Rob, bring up what you said again. I, I want to hear it. It was so true.
3: <laughs> so when, when Dr. Heiser, when Mike was saying, you know, we all go through kind of the angry phase, <laughs> I wanted to just stop him right there and be like, okay, can you give us step-by-step instructions <laughs> For us, and specifically for Tim, on how to get out of that face,
0: dude. In my mind, I didn't want to interrupt his train of thought, but I was like, "Ooh, that's me, that's me." And then when he when he also said, uh, "He goes, I will take your belief and I will burn it in front, of, in front you, of your eyes," I'm like, "I love you so much, Mike. Like you're so yeah." That's maybe. I, I think for me, this was perhaps our most down to earth interview with someone who has the acumen of someone like a, a Michael Heiser because you know, he was pretty humble (laughs) in the interview, but this guy is the real, real deal. In fact, when I emailed him to come on the show, he has an automated response. That's almost four paragraphs. Like, okay, if you're reaching out for this, please go here. If you're reaching out for this, please go here. No, I can't, I can't respond to general questions. Like the guy is not only in demand. And he said, he said it on the, on the uh, interview, his podcast has over a million downloads. Like this guy knows his stuff. But he talks so plainly and so mm-hmm. um, just, you know, he would just say things that like are kind of out of character for, for the idea you have of, of, of a scholar. And I love that because we talked about this before, Rob. The work of the scholars is the most underappreciated and unrecognized work in the evangelical church. I really yeah. believe that they are doing work that is so key. It's so key to our faith, and no one knows about them. Most people don't know about, about Michael Heiser um, or about Tim Mackey or John Wallen or whoever else. You know, and But these guys, these guys, what they're discovering about the Bible is essential to pushing the faith forward, especially for so many millennials and Gen Z, to saving the faith, to know it's not just about random verses or just random stories, but it's a unified story that is deeper and wider than we're ever going to know in one lifetime. That's amazing.
3: Yeah, I know in, I didn't bring it up in the interview, I didn't want to waste the time, but he had a, and when he was kind of going through all of this, him and his wife started going to a new church, Uh, I think he talks about this in Unseen Realm, and they were going to the church, he's like, you know, it was really good, the pastor was really good, he was going through a series on 1 Peter, and I was like, really vibing with it, and then he got to the one section that he talked about in the podcast, where they bring up kind of the, the stranger things of the Old Testament and the Nephilim and all that. And he's like, to my astonishment, the pastor just says, this is a little weird, so we're just going to skip it. He's like, we never went back.
0: Well, could you imagine? I mean, so I am not sure what church he goes to now, but imagine being that pastor, knowing that you have Michael Heiser in your <laughs> congregation. I would just be like uh, a hummingah hum hummana. I think this is right, but could be totally wrong. You know, like so if anyone think, in the audience can stand <laughs> up and correct me. <laughs> Now's the time. Do I have anyone? Is there anyone here? <laughs> I mean, I would be a nervous wreck because you can tell by the way he talked. He knows the Bible. I mean, dude, uh you know, quick caveat I, I, I'm going to say this in I haven't recorded the intro yet, but I'm going to say in the intro I recommend having your Bible out and going to what he's talking about because he just assumes, like, oh, you know, Genesis 6, we all know that story, right? And I'm like, yeah, Mike, we all know that story, knowing that, like, I just read it this morning in preparation for this interview, <laughs> <laughs> and that the chances of our listeners driving right now listening to this are like, what is Genesis 6? And that's it. I appreciate that because it just shows how well he knows the content, you know, to the point where even his level of default is already head and shoulders above. I mean, most people who are listening to this episode, including myself. Right. Most people on the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't want to put it like that, Rob, but. Oh, man. Yeah, no, that was a That was a great. I mean, wow, that was a great interview. And he, guys like that make me just want to know more. I want to get his books. I want to read more. I appreciate this understanding of like, guys, the Bible talks about things that are supernatural and that's not going to fit into our worldview. And that's okay. But what we cannot do is take our worldview and put it on the Bible and ignore what the Bible's trying to say around the stuff. That's what we can't do. I think a lot of people in our evangelical culture have done that. And listen, we're, we've talked about this before. I'm guilty of that as well. But the Christian, the goal is to get rid of those lenses as much as possible to let the biblical authors speak on their own terms and not us putting our terms on the Bible.
3: And as we, as we get people like Michael Heiser on and we get to get glimpses into these he even said it himself it's not that i'm changing the gospel i'm not changing the message of jesus or what the cross means right but it adds a level a level of depth to it where that level of depth doesn't just stay at the cross it then goes into the epistles it goes backwards to the old testament and you get a more in-depth understanding of the meta story the whole story yes and now When somebody comes up and starts to question, well, didn't you know your Bible says in Genesis 6 that (laughs) angels or sons of God, these spiritual beings, had sex with women? Isn't that weird? yeah it is weird, but it 's important, and this is why, yeah and this is the story that you can yes that, that, like that 's addressed in the bible
0: i mean dude i didn't i didn 't think about there being three falls in the genesis narrative you know you're, right. so the idea is it 's not that we 're changing it you 're just adding three d to it, it you 're mm-hmm. not flattening out anymore right so even the 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 death of jesus it 's not just about so individual Tim can have his sins forgiven. Yes, that is a big part of it, but there's a much bigger story underneath of that. That that, that puts me into a bigger story than just me and Jesus, right? right? So I agree with you, Rob. It's it's to be very clear. It's not that we're. Um, or it's not that people like, like Mike or anyone else who would had on are trying to change the gospel. They are simply filling it out for us. They're filling out the story. They're filling out the layers. They're adding new, they're, they're unmuting those hidden tracks, you know, in our song that we never knew were there. And when they are unmuted, they add more context and richness to what we've already known. That's the whole point.
3: <laughs> yeah. It almost, it almost takes away the hard verses of the Bible because you're like, oh, now I have a framework to actually yeah. put this verse in or put this story in.
4: Totally, totally. Oh
0: man, yeah, that was a good one. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that interview. I can't wait till this airs. Whenever we're going to do it, but this, this was a good interview.
3: Yeah, I was trying to think of some of the other things. I, I have always wondered about, you know, that the spiritual realm, why there was no salvation for them. But um, I didn't want to take up more of his time. But I was thinking on a personal level, you know, these spiritual beings already were in the presence of God in his divine family. Right. So they chose to leave the divine family where I I appreciate what he said about Adam and Eve and their partaking of the, of the fruit was, was really a deception on their part. So there, there was already rebellious creatures that were deceiving them into leaving you know Yahweh yes. the, the the holy one. Uh, so it, it would make sense. Okay, I'm going to offer salvation for those that were deceived. But for those that were and it almost ties into um Romans 9, right? Or yes, where yes. those that were not deceived but willingly turned away there is no more salvation. Because it's almost that same thing. They've tasted of the of the gift. They've tasted of the divine family as it were, and they've willingly turned away from it.
0: There were a couple of things where I, I, listen, obviously I didn't want to interrupt too much because yeah, you have to exactly. just, just wind him up and let him go, right? Like, yeah. he, we're here to hear him, not to hear us. In the third um, quarter, go. But yeah, right. But there were a few points where I'm like, ooh, like that kind of flies in the face of like ultra-reformed theology, especially the one about like the, um, that, that humans were deceived and this idea of like, not that it wasn't all our fault, but that it's kind of not all of our fault because that flies in the face of, you are wicked, you're depraved, you just hate, 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 you know, that whole idea there's a whole segment of Christianity out there that pretty much says like humans are the scum of the earth or the worst things ever. And we are willingly, you know, running from God all the time. And while there are definitely elements in stories you read in the Bible, yeah. well, that is true. Like Jonah, for example, that isn't like the theme of, of, of what is happening with the fall story, you know? And I was like, hmm, interesting. I'm, I'm not going to poke that bear here, but it made me kind of think back to some of that.
3: Yeah. And it was Hebrews that I was thinking of.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I thought yeah. Roman designer talking about, talk about Calvinism, and you know, I'm like, go yeah. ahead, Rob, go for it. but which, which he also said some
3: things that would fly in the face of that as well, of you know, humans were designed like God with a free will.
4: Oh, don't say
0: it, Rob. <laughs> well, Rob, 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 <laughs> we know that our good Calvinist friends, who we respect, would say that we do have free will to only sin. That's our free will. We can only do evil. That's our will. So. Mm. <laughs> anyway, different discussion, but hey everyone, thanks so much for ch- for tuning into this episode. All right, friends. Hey, it's Tim now in real time. I had to add on that ten minute like post conversation with Rob and I. It's <laughs> listening back is just I think you. I wanted you all to hear it because I really enjoy um, Rob and I loved that podcast that we were running together. So I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, <laughs> that uh, in the in the moment uh, processing together and just having a good time. So all right, hey, listen. Thanks for hanging in there. I know this was a longer um, episode than usual, but really this. Stuff is so deep and complex. You know, whenever I get a guy like like Dr. Heiser on, on the show or um, someone who just knows so much about the Bible, I, I try and sit and absorb it because these guys, they have sat with the, with these texts for years and years and know them inside and out. And I think it's a good reminder to all of us that the Bible is way more complex, way more nuanced, and w- in a lot of ways, way different than the uh, evangelical culture has, has led us to believe so all right i'm gonna stop talking now you've been listening to me for over an hour and a half thanks for checking out this episode i will talk to you all next time